This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 254, airing in mid-June of 2022. Sarah is going to be interviewing the Anxiety Sisters uh, about their book and about this topic of how we can deal with life in this anxious world. So Sarah, maybe you could tell us why you wanted to do this interview and why this one stuck out for you. Yeah. we For listeners who are wondering, like, how do we find our guests? I think we've talked about this a little bit, but sometimes it's just someone Laura and I have come across and think would be awesome. Sometimes people write us emails and suggest other people or suggest themselves. And then we get a lot of pitches from PR, people who represent authors and other speakers and a lot of coaches, lots and lots of coaches. Anyway, so this was a book that that kind of stood out from some of the others that we've seen, just because I felt like it was a topic that impacts everyone in so many different stages of life. And it was a little, I don't know, different from a lot of the fodder that is sent to us. And it was all about anxiety. And it was a book about anxiety told by two women who have had a lot of experience with anxiety, but who also want to give it an air of normalcy, talk about different degrees of anxiety, and have a very 
friendly and conversational tone when talking about a tough and potentially anxiety-provoking topic. Yes, anxiety itself can be anxiety-provoking as they actually talk about in the book. So um, I picked up the book and it was great. And so we invited them to come on. And actually it was going to be both sisters, but one of them was on a river cruise in Europe. So it ended up being one of the sisters, but she was great to talk to. So I think you'll enjoy the interview. I don't have clinical anxiety, I don't think. You know, even when I read the book, I didn't think I fit like, you know, true anxiety. But I think like many other people, I have lots of anxiety in my life. And I don't think I have a single friend who I can point to and be like, oh, that person has no anxiety. Laura, you're on the lower end to the anxiety. I don't know. I think I have plenty of anxiety. Maybe I just don't show it. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I feel like you fret about things less than the average of my friends, but not zero. Not zero. Not zero. zero. No. No, no, no. And then we know that teens um, and anxiety is a huge, big deal right now. And so, I don't know, are there things in your life that have improved your anxiety? Well, I think trying to limit news consumption is is part of it. And, you know, you recognize when you are in a more vulnerable place and really don't want to have the news. And I, I sort of remember... I mean, this seems like ages ago now, but shortly after Henry was born, there was the whole bombing of a place in Iran where um, to, to kill one of the generals, which I mean, I'm sure there are many schools of thought on the foreign policy. And I don't want to even remotely get into that. But I was just like, well, a war with Iran would be really terrible. <laughs> and so I was, um, you know, just very kind of in that newborn mode. I'm like, I just cannot read about this. Like, I cannot follow the news about it. I cannot. There's nothing I can personally do of whether we're going to you know, be in a nuclear war with Iran. I mean, little knowing that then people would be worried about a nuclear war with Russia. I mean, who, you know, it just the country moves around and lives through a pandemic as well. But uh, so, you know, if anything else, it's helpful to remember that whatever you're anxious about now, something else and supplant it later. But that was a time I remember just like consciously getting off the internet, getting away from the news, not reading the newspaper, not looking at anything, filling, you know, your life with HGTV magazine or something. And, and, you know, I guess there's, you want to be informed, but again, in the situation where there is nothing you can personally do, then it doesn't help to get that marginal extra news story about it. Or, you know, I, I think both of us, when we encounter a situation, we try to you know make a donation to a nonprofit that is doing work in the area, you know, consume news in very limited amounts of something that's a reputable source for just a few minutes and then do other things, fill your life with what you can control. I also find that exercising, so running frequently, um, getting outside those help as well. Yes, running totally helps exactly what you said about the news, social media, same thing, because that can become very news heavy, especially when things are stressful and you can find yourself in a spiral of like, oh my God, I've spent, you know, an hour hearing a hundred people's different hot takes on something that you didn't need to be spending an hour on because like, yeah, how were you going to fix it just by watching this? And yeah, just filling your life with other things. I mean, I was just thinking back to 2020 and what, you know, of course we were all, you know, CNNing and looking at these sources, whatever your preferred source is or was. And by the way, that's that's a source that I don't love anymore because it feels very much like 
they want a lot of page views by making things seem as scary as possible, which is what I've read is kind of how a lot of media has to operate these days. Anyway, total sideline. But when you're doing other things, when you're having a social engagement, when you're going outside, when you're doing a craft, when you're writing in a journal and playing with pens, like you're not going to be focusing on those things. So sometimes just filling your life with things that are more valuable, more calming, more fun in itself can actually help lower, at least for me, my anxiety. Again, I don't have clinical anxiety. So that's maybe very different in different degrees. Yeah. I would also say, um, again, for people without the clinical anxiety that needs to be treated or anything like that, but um, if you're anxious about a certain event, sometimes it helps to realize that you will be on the other side of it. <laughs> like, um, it can feel like this giant, big cement truck in the road in front of you that you can't see around, but like you will be like time keeps passing. And if you are anxious about a meeting, like eventually that meeting is going to be over. <laughs> like you're going to be on the other side of that meeting and life will continue no doubt for decades after that. So it's just, I think, you know, we don't want to wish time away. I mean, we don't want to fall too much into that trap, but we have to see that, that, you know, you can picture yourself on the other side of it. It also helps to remind, I mean, I was saying this facetiously with the, like we've moved on to a different nuclear war, but it's uh, the truth is that things do change on the, you know, conditions change on the ground. And, and in many cases, things that you were anxious about in the past that are within your sphere of influence, you have dealt with and moved on from. And again, not the nuclear war, which none of us personally can do anything about. But if it is, say, you know, how you're going to deal with a difficult employee issue, like probably you've dealt with those in the past, right? And you know, or once you deal with this, you'll have insight for the next time you experience this. So you are a capable person and you can remind yourself of this, that like you have solved problems, like you have solved really bad problems and you've, you know, figured out a way forward. And so I think that can help with the anxiety too. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone enjoys this interview. I really enjoyed doing it. Well, I am so excited to welcome Maggie, Maggie Sarachek. Did I say it right? You said it perfectly. Yay! I should have checked that prior, but I'm so excited to welcome Maggie Sarachek of the Anxiety Sisters onto this podcast. We get a lot of emails about books that come out, and this one really captured my attention because anxiety is something so many of us struggle with, even, you know, from really mild degrees in specific situations to a much more global debilitating issue. And I felt like this book covered all of those bases in like a really nice friendly tone. So I'm so excited to have you on. Can you introduce yourself and tell us like where you are, how old your kids are? And then of course, you can speak for your co-author as well. Sure. So I'm Mags from the Anxiety Sister, I'm Maggie, and I'm living now in Columbus, Ohio. But as I was telling you before, I am a lifelong New Yorker. So came from Manhattan, then I moved to Hoboken, which is another little city right next to Manhattan. So we didn't have a car. And then we moved to Columbus, Ohio, which I couldn't have found on the map before we moved here, but has been a happy surprise for us. And I have two children ages, oh, 19 and 15. Wow. Wow. It goes so fast. 19 and 15. And then my co-anxiety sister is Abby and she lives in New Jersey, in Monroe, New Jersey. But again, she is from Florida and has spent a lot of time in South Florida. And she has three children 
and I'm embarrassed, but her oldest two daughters are well into their 30s, but I, I think about 34, but I could be wrong, somewhere in their 30s, you know, and then her her son is 24, 25. Awesome. And I'm really hoping I didn't get those ages very wrong. <laughs> well, approximate works well. Okay. I actually thought you were sister sisters when I read the book. So I'm like, oh, they're not actually sisters. Yeah. You coined the term after you became good friends. How did you connect with each other? Well, we met in college. And Abby likes to say we sort of recognize nervous expressions on our faces, but we became very, very close friends. And then after college, you know, we stayed very close. And as our anxiety for both of us got worse, we became really each other's touchstones. And so we kind of went through the process of anxiety together in many different ways and really supported each other. And we reached a point when we felt like we had done a fair amount of work and healing and research where we decided that we needed to sort of include others in our little sorority of two. And that's how we, we became the Anxiety Sisters. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So we're soul sisters. We're soul yes. sisters. Yes. I mean, I literally, I read your book entirety and I, well, maybe it was covered in the beginning and I forgot or something, but I, in the whole time I was thinking you were both sisters. So I, I'm totally excited we, to hear that it was, it was a virtual sisterhood. Yes, we are sisters. We just, we fight like sisters and <laughs> we're just from different mothers and fathers. And can you talk a little bit about your journey with anxiety, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, sure, how it sure. came into your life? We're pretty much both open books, but so I realized much later that I had had anxiety even as a fairly young child. I had a lot of separation anxiety and I didn't name it that. I didn't know sort of what it was. And I had anxiety sort of all the way through my life in, in different ways. But in my 20s, I ended up really dealing with severe panic disorder, agoraphobia, which is when I was pretty afraid to be outside of my safe zone, which was my apartment at the time. And I developed a lot of other phobias, you know, phobias of driving, of being on trains, planes, elevators, which was rough because I lived on the 16th floor of a building in Manhattan and took the subway every day and the bus every day. But I really developed very, very severe phobias that affected my ability to function in every way. It sounds like the less you were able to do, the less you were able to do, if that kind of makes sense. Like it was like yes, a circle. It is a circle. It's, it is exactly, it's sort of like we call it the, the anxiety loop and you get into that loop and the loop gets bigger and bigger and bigger it becomes very hard to get you to sort of push your way out of the loop. That is so hard. And how did you find your way out? And I guess, how did having kids um, interact with that? Well, I have to say, I was one of those people that really held off having kids. I mean, I was married and met my husband and got married pretty young and was married for a very long time before I had kids. Yeah, we were together probably 15 years before we had kids. And that was in large part because of my anxiety disorder, because I didn't think I would be able to, to manage kids and feel as I felt. 
And I guess Abby and I always say like our 20s, we called it the decade of our is, right? We went around, we went to every ist you could imagine, the neurologist, the acupuncturist, the cardiologist, the past life regressionist. I mean, anyone who would take our money, we were going to help because we just wanted to feel better. And we didn't really know and believe that we had anxiety. So each person gave us a little something right along the way. And I ended up going to social work school, I'd always sort of been oriented that way and interested. And Abby ended up becoming a professor of communication, studying particularly self-talk and the power of self-talk. And she was a communications professor for many years. And so we just started sort of putting the pieces together between therapy and medication and lots of alternative therapies and then our professional lives and then really starting to talk to people about anxiety. That was incredibly powerful. We have an ethnography we've interviewed at this point, thousands of women, because we hear, we now hear from people through Anxiety Sisters all the time. But we started interviewing people and saying, like, what works in the real world? What works for you? Right? Not in the academic world, because that's a completely different thing than the real world. And then we started going to conferences and interviewing the quote unquote experts on anxiety and just sort of putting that all together. And so as we were starting Anxiety Sisters, we were more and more coming to terms with our own anxiety. Do you think that learning about anxiety helped with your anxiety? Yes. Yes. That I makes mean, sense. We, before we even started a website, we had been, do- we had been doing this for us several years. So 2017 is when our website sort of came up in this form, but we had been working on this probably since 2010, I would say. And in the beginning, it was very anxiety provoking to talk about anxiety. But as time went on, we kind of found it's sort of exposure therapy, I would say. So you kind of get exposed to talking about it all the time and get much more comfortable with it. And you hear other people's stories. And I think the greatest thing to know is that no matter what your anxiety level is, you are not alone. Yes. And I think your book does such a nice, like, it has such a playful, we're all in this together kind of tone. And I can totally see how that could benefit people who instead were treating it as more of like this big secret or this big thing that was special to themselves. Well, now in, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say anxiety is like such a spectrum. Um, I mean, myself, I'm definitely anxious about certain things and I totally have a phobia. This will be a pop quiz for any listeners who have been listening for a long time. Do you know what my phobia is? Relatives, you don't count. Uh, But uh, do you feel like this is something that's starting to be acknowledged as more universal, that like everyone has some degree of anxiety? I mean, it is it is one of the emotions we have. I mean, if we didn't have anxiety, we would never get out of bed you know, and get to work or, you know, pick up our kids or make dinner for the family, you know, and I've, I've had those days where I haven't done any of that. So I, I'm not judging, but no, literally anxiety does push us forward and we are starting to talk about it more. I think the thing that I see is that while people talk about mental health a lot more, the consequences of mental health on someone's life 
are still not so acceptable in society. So, you know, we're, oh, you have anxiety disorder or depression. I totally understand. But I don't understand that you didn't make my party or I don't understand that you can't do carpool today or that you didn't get to work on time. You know, so the there are these really inconvenient consequences of having true mental health disorders. And I don't know that we've yet come to the point where we've really accepted that piece. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even with physical health disorders, I feel like people aren't always accepting in that piece. And I think the barriers even higher for things that you can't see outright. We are going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to start talking about some of the tips because there were so many in this book, as well as, as I said, like so much companionship. All right, we'll be right back. All right, we are back. And because your book is chock full of very Mm. actionable tips, I was interested in kind of separating them out a little bit and first talking about like, what are some things you might start with if you're dealing with a much lower key anxiety, like nothing clinical, nothing debilitating, but maybe it's the start of the school year and you just find yourself like kind of circling because there's so many moving parts in the air. I will share that one of my favorite tips was the creative outlet section. I was like, oh, yes, those are some of my favorite things. And choosing the right calming activity when you're in a certain state of mind has definitely been something that I am learning over the years. But that's please great. share some of your other favorites. Well, for the low level in particular, a lot of self-talk and self-compassion, also for the high level, but that self-talk, which is like, I, I've been through this before. I know that this is a really hard time, but I know that I'm going to get through it. You know, I know it's really chaotic right now, but I'm going to just, you know, do one thing at a time and I'm going to get through it. Or, you know, this will pass. I know that this will pass. So that really calm and kind way of reassuring yourself and talking to yourself. And if you can do it out loud, all the better. With everyone talking on their cell phones all the time, I feel like we can sort of talk to ourselves out loud. And then I think there's the other, the balance of making sure that you are taking that time to refill your tank. And I don't love the term self-care. I don't know why, but it, it just always annoys. I always find it Because it always annoying. sounds like massages and bath salts and we go straight to that. <laughs> it does. It does. A friend of mine recently said the term restoration she likes better or self-connection. So taking that time to self-connect, one of the best things any of us can do, like research shows it time after time after time again, is to get outside and get into nature. However, we can do that. You don't even have to exercise in nature. Just getting outside and being in nature is one of the most powerful ways to calm our heart rate, our respiration, our hormone, like our cortisol, you know, like which you produce when you're very anxious. It's like your body physiology actually changes when you're out in nature. And so for people with a low level anxiety who can get out in nature, that is one of the things I would definitely recommend. I love that, especially even when the weather is not great. Sometimes even just a short little dose can be so much better than nothing. Yes. 
or, or like worst case scenario, just stare out a window and like wait for a bird to come and like, Absolutely. you know, or watch a storm. Like you're, you know, you're like, you're in it without even having to be in it sometimes. In, if you can't be outside, having plants in your house, believe it or not, does unbelievable, actually physiologically also does work. So any looking out windows, having plants in your house, anything really makes a big difference. And Abby would say have cats or dogs, definitely. She would say animals. Yes. Well, my kids are certainly lobbying for that. And I could see how how a pet, even for like an anxious child, can yes. be like such a, a beautiful gift. Like, okay, it's something to hold. It's something calming. Exactly. I'm thinking about like a, you mentioned, I think a pet, like a cat purring in your lap or yes, something. Like, like I sensory, love that image. Yes. It's a sensory calming. It's very calming from a sensory point of view. And they've done some new studies about kids with dogs having less anxiety and better mental health than kids without dogs. I'm now trying to sell my family on the idea of a cat versus a dog. Yes. Because to be quite honest, I have so much anxiety surrounding a dog, whereas I can see a cat. <laughs> yeah, no, no. A cat also does the trick. You know it would what give I mean? you the benefits without the <laughs> stress, yes, yes, stressors of that. ownership. No, I get that. A cat also has that soothing piece and like petting a cat. Yeah, that very soothing. It's unfortunately a hard sell on my husband, but I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about more severe forms of anxiety? And, you know, we have a lot of new parents um, on this that listen to Best of Both Worlds. Yes. And I know postpartum or peripartum anxiety is really, really common and can be incredibly severe. What are the best ways you've found in those scenarios? And in particular, when it's time to seek out help, but you might be paralyzed because you're yes. in an anxious state, how do you how do you reach out and get what you need? Well, I think for new mothers, it's especially fraught because I, I think there's still that stereotype like, oh, you had a baby. This is supposed to be the best time of your life. You're supposed to be so happy. And that fear, especially when you're, your anxiety or depression or a lot of mothers, new mothers find themselves with like a lot of OCD, a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder around the baby. When that becomes really severe, I think a lot of mothers fear, like, if I tell anyone, they're going to think I can't take care of my baby, you know, which is not the case. But it is, it is a fear. And the first thing to know is that women experience more anxiety when our hormones are in flux in general. And there is no time almost in your life that there's such a dramatic hormonal shift as, you know, childbirth, basically, the day after childbirth, right after childbirth. Childbirth? You know? weaning when you stop breastfeeding. Absolutely. I found that was like a crazy making time and perimenopause. Oh, oh, menopause, perimenopause, puberty too. But there's such an extreme when you give birth of like in that 24 hour period of a change of hormones. And so know that people don't always talk about it, but you're absolutely not alone with this. And it's time to kind of, if you have anyone around you that you can really trust, you know, whether that's a mother or a good friend or your husband or wife or whomever else is with you, it's really the time where if you can't reach out, reach out to them and have them help you reach out. There are so many websites, and I can get you some for the show notes of you know, for postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, which is actually something really being recognized right now. And 
you know, that will help direct that person to finding you some help. I love that. So when you're in a position where you can't even, you know, you're not able to handle reaching out or you're, that's so interesting about being afraid of what people will think, which is totally part of the whole thing itself. So that's so hard to just like get to a friend, get somebody else and then have them do the legwork of figuring out the next step. If anyone is around and if no one is around for you, then I really believe in the crisis text line and they're 741-741, they have resources about everything and they're incredibly non-judgmental and they help a lot of people. They will help you find the resource that you need. Awesome. And we'll definitely link to that as well. How about, since our podcast does focus a lot on working parenthood, working motherhood in particular, how about handling anxiety in professional settings? Now, whether that is related to your professional activity yourself, like you're afraid of speaking or you're afraid of, I don't know, being interviewed or something like that. Do you have tips for that or also how to talk about it at work without inviting judgment or without maybe sharing more than you want to, but still enough so that people understand and can help and be supportive? Right. And that really depends on your workplace. I know, you know, that it depends on what the environment is like or what your particular boss or supervisor is like, how much you feel comfortable sharing. I think the thing about sharing at work is doing that piece where you figure out what do you need? What do I need? So that really you come to whomever you're speaking with and kind of talk about the thing that you, that would, the accommodation you would need to make your life easier. You know, do I need a speaking coach? That's a reasonable request. You don't have to give a whole backstory. I want to make sure I can do this in the best way possible. You know, do I need some adjustment in hours so that I can pick up my kids and figure this all out? But really figuring out what you need and how you're going to make it work for your company is kind of the goal, I think. You can share whatever you feel comfortable sharing, obviously, but I, I don't know that that's the, the ultimate important piece. I think it's just like, okay, I need this. And then this is why the company wants to do this for me. This is how it's going to work for them. This is what I need so that it will benefit you. Like that that, that classic, like always talk to your boss about like, how can I help our company even more? I love that example of a speaking coach. And you Mm -hmm. don't have to say because you're anxious. You might just be like, I want to be able to present my very best in meetings and um, stressful presentations. So I think I'd really benefit from a speaking coach. I love that. Exactly. And then in terms of, you know, mothers, I mean, working mothers have just such a big load on them in general. So, you know, I think it, it really depends on what the area that you're struggling with is. But I always say, like, we all have to reach out for help as much as possible, whatever kind of help will, will help us. And we, you know, and we have to be willing to help other people. like. This whole idea, like, I can just hold it all together. Nobody can. No working mother can. Yes. And we try to emphasize that on our show on a regular basis. Yes. Takes a village for pretty much everyone. And if you think that you're going to do every part by yourself and be happy and smiling while doing it, then you've been fed a lie. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean... So accepting that reality. Yeah. Well, there is that piece of real acceptance of like what your abilities and limitations are. 
you know, in that, and I don't mean abilities like you can't do something, but just like, we're all just people, like none of us can do it all perfectly. Yes. And you're right. Accepting that can go a long way towards some anxiety that's based on the idea that you are supposed to be achieving some very specific Instagram worthy ideal. Yes, yes. And your kids are supposed to be perfect and you're supposed to be perfect and you're supposed to be great at your job and it's not possible. It's just not possible. And so it's like accepting and then figuring out like as much as you can, what do I need? What do I need right now, you know, for what will make my life manageable? Because it doesn't stay that way for for moms of young children. It feels like, okay, it will always be this hard. But having slightly older children, you know, I can tell you that that piece changes. And so, you know, if I could speak to my younger self, I would have said to myself, you know what, even if I have to spend more money now, you know, or do something that I wasn't thinking about doing now, it's worth it because this is temporary. I am already getting a taste of that and because my kids are four, eight, and 10. And let me tell you, that's really different than zero, (laughs) four, and six. Yeah. And I can tell you so that even in a fairly short period, it can get a little bit, a little bit of the pressure comes out. And we always also really believe in having something we call a spin kit with you. So this is a first aid kit for anxiety. And basically like you would carry an EpiPen. If you have an allergy, you carry a spin kit. So the spin kit has three different types of things in it. One is something to, if your anxiety is really bad, something to give you a little distraction. For me, like I sometimes carry a little bit of crochet with me because like crafting helps. Some people carry coloring or even just pictures of their pets or something non-stressful or a beautiful scene to look at. And then have something that will help soothe your senses and ground you. So when we get anxious, you know how sometimes you can kind of feel like a little bit like you're not quite in your body? can't think straight. And so, you know, some people like to carry like a smell, an essential oil, lavender, or some people like to carry a mint because if you put in like a strong Altoid or something, that can really, really ground you. Like you just come back into your body. Some people like to carry something very soft, you know, that they can just like have in their hands or a worry stone, something with a little bit of weight. And I've seen people who put a rubber band around their wrist and they just kind of, um, I'm forgetting the word, but they just kind of like push the rubber band back. So it kind of hits them on the wrist, you know, little stimulation. Yeah. A little stimulation to get you back in your, to get us back in our body. And we just suggest people carry this around in like a small, like makeup size bag. And so that when you have anxiety, you can pull out your spin kit. Um, You also may have some symptom relief in your spin kit. I'm sorry, I forgot the third one. And so that might be like tea if you have a bad stomach. It might be headache medicine or if you take, you know, Ativan or Xanax or something, it might be one of those. So, you know, something to help your anxiety symptoms as well. I think that probably just the presence of the kit itself and knowing it's there kind of reminds you like, you know what? Normally I'm a level-headed person who packs myself a spin kit. So like, you know, I'm taken care of. Yes. Having, being prepared is like half of the battle because if you're prepared, the anxiety, it can't sneak up on you. You're not like, oh my God, what is going on? You know, oh, I'm anxious. I'm going to take something out of my spin kit. 
And we call it a spin kit because sometimes the word panic or anxiety makes us anxious. So we call it spinning often. I love it. Just a gentle word. I think this is going to be filled with useful things and just the normalizing of anxiety along the spectrum from mild to and pervasive to severe, I think is just really a helpful way to think about it. And I did want us to share our love of the week. Sure. So you said something about nature. So I feel even better about my love of the week. Mine is kind of just like a thing that I did the other day, which I will, I triple test picking up my kids taking a walk and calling my parents. I actually, I mean, I didn't really do all those things at once, but I drove to pick them. I parked like, and I got there a little bit early and I was able to take like a 30 minute walk in nice weather at the end of the day. And then I used that time to call my mom while I was walking and then I was there for pickup. So it was like totally lovely. And I was like, wow, three productive but yeah. nice things to do at once. Yeah, and you did like the connecting with your parents. Which yes, we there talk was nature, about. there was connecting, and then there's the practicality of like, okay, yes. my kids need to get picked up. Yes, your kids do. And the movement piece too. I mean, because that yes. is something also, I'm not saying go to the gym and pound, but any kind of movement is something that really alters our moods. So as much that is like, perfect. And then so outside, maybe I was actually quadruple tasking. You quadruple task. Yes, you did. I think my love of this week happened actually in our Anxiety Sisters community because we have a really big Facebook community and we are on Instagram too, but our Facebook community, people tend to talk a lot. And then we have some support groups as well. And in our community, someone was really, really struggling with something and you know put it out there. And I just watched people saying like, oh yeah, me too. I have that too. And this is what I do. So it, it really was like sort of going, went on for quite a while, like, like maybe 50, 60, 70 comments of people kind of empathizing and then sharing what they do. And you know how the internet is often so mean? Our it was like a ganging up, but a positive ganging yeah, up. Yeah, our community is not generally. I mean, 99% of the time is really, really empathetic and kind. And so someone came on and, you know, was struggling and people really opened up. And that like just made me feel so good. That is so nice. Yes, a very safe and supportive place to go. Yes, definitely. Well, on on that note, remind everybody where they can find your community, your book, and anywhere else that you and your anxiety partner (laughs) are living on the internet. Sure. You can find us. um, We have a website, www.anxietysisters.com. We're on Instagram as The Anxiety Sisters. We're on Facebook, Anxiety Sisters again. We have a podcast called The Spin Cycle that talks about all things anxiety. And you can always, always reach out to us at absandmags at anxietysisters.com. And we answer every email we get. So feel free to email us. It takes us a few days. Or you can private message us on Facebook and we try to answer everything. And And you have a book. book. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Our book. I'm not a very good promoter. Our book. The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. Um, it was published in September 2021 by Random House. And so you can really find it anywhere that you find books. I really recommend it. It has a lovely, I, as I said, like 
if you just want to like read about anxiety in a very conversational, non-anxiety provoking way that will make you feel very not alone in the world, it is a great book for you. Thank you so much. That's really sweet. Well, it was wonderful to have you on. I hope Abby enjoys the rest of her trip, but I loved having one of you and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy hearing all of this. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Well, that was great. Sarah was interviewing Maggie Sarachek, who is one of the co-authors of The Anxiety Sisters. Great to hear about them and what they suggest for dealing with that so common issue. So here's a slightly different question, totally different idea from a listener who says she wants to hear from us about planning to come back from an extended break, like a year-long sabbatical. I assume that this listener is an academic because this is often when this happens that um, professors get like a year to do their research every, I don't know, after seven or 14 years or something like that. Anyway, she says, I have the summer to plan my return, but I'm starting to slowly think about how or what I should be mindful of as I do. I would love your ideas about how we should think about this, about getting back to work after a long time away or uh, back to regular sorts of work after an extended time focused on something else. So Sarah, what do you think? Oh man, I can't give you an expert opinion on this because I can't even, the closest thing I've had to a sabbatical is three maternity leaves. Does that count? (laughs) I don't know. But it was fun to indulge in the fantasy of having one and what I might think about doing. So just some ideas. I think if I were truly away for a year, I would plan some one-on-one social catch-up meetings with some of the people I wanted to kind of just find out what I missed and what's going on and without having to do it like all at once or in some big group setting. So maybe like schedule a couple of lunches with some of your favorite people that you work with so you can get a sense of what's going on. I think if I had had a sabbatical where I was digging deep on some project or topic and I wanted to continue that in some fashion, I would just really think about like, what was it? What part of that project can I carry forward? Because it's probably not going to be the whole thing. Like you're not because you're not going to have as much kind of free time to, to go so deep. But if there's maybe some particular element that you can identify and maybe write out a years long plan of how you might go about that, you don't always have to commit to sticking exactly to the plan and you have to understand you're going to have more constraints than you had when you were on the sabbatical, but maybe just doing a little bit of exploration of what you'd want to carry forward. And then this one comes a little bit Cal Newport inspired. And actually he answered a similar question recently, which makes me wonder, did you write to him too? Which would be kind of funny, but cool. And you know, really when you're on sabbatical, you're not talking with anyone. That's kind of the big benefit. Nobody's bothering you. So take advantage of that clean slate where people might have kind of forgotten that you're someone who's easily or readily available. And maybe think about ways you might be able to streamline communication in the future because you have this nice blank slate. Like people weren't used to being able to bug you all the time. And maybe if you you know, are like, okay, Friday is my office hours. For that's when students should reach me. Or like, you know, you have an assistant that you're an administrative assistant and she used to text you all day, but you could come back and be like, Hey, I want to try this new thing where we do check-ins on Wednesday afternoons and Friday afternoons at four. And otherwise, unless something's urgent, let's wait for those meetings, things like that. Like thinking about maybe ways in which that constant availability that you got a break from can be preserved in some fashion. Yeah. That sounds like great ideas. And, and, you know, things that think about what you missed while you were on sabbatical, if there's anything you know, because you want to make sure that you put that back in your life. And also think about what you really didn't miss and think about if there are ways that you can keep that out of your life as much as possible. But in keeping with our theme of anxiety for this episode, I would note that you don't need to overthink this, okay? Like 
Yes, you are away from your normal responsibilities for a while. Now you are resuming them again, but it will all be fine. <laughs> like you don't need to hold yourself to some creating a perfect new schedule or perfect new work style because life always happens. There's no point in being disappointed if you can't take the aspects of the sabbatical you loved into the year. That's why we have sabbaticals in certain jobs is so that you can devote the time to it. So I think it might help to review what you did over the sabbatical and sort of remind yourself that you had time for these things. So you don't immediately jump into this like, woe is me, I don't have any time to focus anymore. It's like, okay, well, you had a year to focus. I mean, it's the same thing with, I, I wind up speaking with a lot of people who are coming back from maternity leaves and they're like, I'm not spending much time with my kid during this first time back when it's crazy because they're getting caught up on everything. It's like, but you just spent four months with your children like all day long. Like, does that count for something? Like, remember you had a season that you were very into that. And now you have a season where you're going to have to be a little bit more into work but it will all probably balance out over the time. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. Sarah has been interviewing Maggie from the Anxiety Sisters. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.